This is Educate for Life with Kevin Conover on AM 1170, The Answer. Educate for Life, a look at current events from today's headlines and how they affect you, what you believe shapes your worldview and your ultimate destiny. Learn more now at educateforlife.com. Now, in studio, here is your host, Kevin Conover. Bring your time and bring your shame. Welcome to AM 1170, The Answer. This is Kevin Conover with Educate for Life. Educate for Life exists to respond to current events in light of the biblical worldview using history, science, and logic. My website is educateforlife.org. Thanks for joining us this evening. Uh, Before we get to our guest, I just wanted to share with you some of the things that are going on in the news and in current events. Uh, Recently, there's been some exciting things happening over in China You may or may not know this. This past week, the communist Chinese government decided it is not only going to control the lives of living people, but also dead people. The Chinese government is mandating that the Dalai Lama reincarnate. Uh, Pretty interesting stuff here. I don't know how you tell somebody that they have to reincarnate, but the Dalai Lama has responded by telling them that he's probably not going to reincarnate because he doesn't want the Chinese to find his reincarnation to be able to control the Tibetan people. So uh, the Chinese, there's this back and forth dialogue happening here. And uh, we want to look at these kind of things in light of scripture and the Bible and the biblical worldview and, and uh, respond to these, these kinds of things. Uh, the Chinese government says he's not being very compassionate and that it is, it is his duty as a bodhisattva, uh, a compassionate Buddhist leader to reincarnate. So atheists here are telling a Buddhist how to be a Buddhist, right? Kind of, uh, uh, Unbelievable stuff here. All kinds of stuff happening in the world that as a Christian, as a Bible-believing Christian, I want to know how do I respond to these things. Now, if we look at the Bible in Hebrews 9.27, it actually says that it is appointed for a man to die once, and after that comes the judgment. Now, of course, for those out there who are non-believers, you may be thinking to yourself, but how do we know the Bible is the truth? And Buddhists aren't right about reincarnation. Well, that's a very good question, a very important question. And my ministry, my organization exists to answer those kinds of questions. I offer online classes on that issue and many other issues. In other news, a couple weeks ago, the journal Science published a story about a portion of a jawbone with several teeth that was found in Africa. They say it's a missing link. It's been decided with no need for evidence that it's 2.8 million years old. Now, this reminds me of Ida, which was found in 2009. Evolutionists said it was 47 million years old. It was a fossil they found, and they said it was a missing link between animals and humans. That same year, in the Journal of Human Evolution, evolutionists made the statement that it was not a man-like creature and was not a missing link. They retracted their entire claim within about a year. Now, this is not surprising. This has been going on for quite a while. In 1927, a tooth was found in Nebraska, and evolutionists called it Nebraska Man. It turned out to be the tooth of a pig. In 1932, evolutionists found another supposed missing link called Ramapithecus. It turned out to be the jaw of an orangutan. This is ongoing, and this is another one of the things that we have to examine in light of the biblical worldview and say, is this really a fossil that's millions of years old? Is it really a missing link? 
is evolution true or is creation true? Because what we believe about where we came from has a dramatic impact on how we're going to live today. These are very significant questions. It affects our view of, re of relationships. It affects our view of what our priorities should be in life. Do I spend my life helping people, serving people? Uh, encouraging others, inspiring others? Do I spend my life on service to God and to man? Or do I spend my life on behalf of myself because this is the only life I have to live? These are hugely significant questions. And again, uh, if you would like to try a free class online, uh, it is called The Fossil Record versus Evolution. You can go to tryefl.com. That's T-R-Y-E-F-L.com. Now, I'm going to segue here into our uh, uh, conversation with a very special guest we have. Um, also in the news, uh, not too long ago, there was a uh, scientific theory that was pr proposed saying that the Big Bang turns out to be wrong. And the claim is that the universe is infinite. And what this means is that there is no need for a creator. If you have a universe that's self-existing, that has never not existed, then there's no need for a cause to that universe. It's always existed. And that, again, is a very significant question because in Genesis 1.1, it says, in the beginning. All throughout the Bible, it says that God created the universe, that there was a beginning to the universe. And although we may not believe in, uh, the Bible doesn't teach a naturalistic Big Bang, uh, we do believe, along with what seems to be the case over the past hundred years, what, what seems to be the case is that there was a beginning. Einstein thought there was a beginning. Hubble thought there was a beginning. George Gamow thought there was a beginning. Uh, many other scientists have come to the conclusion that the evidence indicates there was a beginning to the universe. And yet this new theory is going around the news that there was no beginning to the universe. I want to take this opportunity now to just thank Dr. Jason Lyle for being on the show with us today. Thank you for being here, Dr. Lyle. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Fantastic. And Dr. Lyle is a uh, doctor of astronomy and physics. And uh, Dr. Lyle, could you give us a little bit of your background about how you got involved in uh, what generated your interest in physics and astronomy? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I've been interested in astronomy since I was very little. Um, I, I just, there's just something neat about space, something that's it, – it's, it's so big and it's abstract and it's beautiful beyond reason. And I remember even when I was very little going to our little uh, rural county library there and getting all the books on astronomy. And at some point I'd read them all in the library and I was very excited then, of course, to go on into school and so on. And when I went to college, there was no doubt I was going to major in astronomy and physics. So I double majored in that at, uh, at Ohio Wesleyan University. And then I went in and got my uh, master's degree and PhD from the University of Colorado at Boulder, and it's been a lot of fun. I've really enjoyed exploring the universe uh, from a Christian perspective. That's fantastic. Now, as you were going through college and everything, um, I imagine that you ran into a lot of uh, opposing ideas. Uh, you, you, did you grow up as a Christian? Did you, uh, when, when did you I accept did. the Lord? Yeah, I was, I was pretty small. I was uh, six or seven when I received the Lord. And I really did understand at that point that, that I was a sinner and that Christ paid the penalty for my sins. And I received him as my Lord and Savior. Uh, but, of course, I've grown in my Christian knowledge and in my theology throughout then. Uh, so, yes, even when I was in college, I was a Christian. And even by the time I was probably a sophomore or junior, I think probably by a sophomore as, as an undergraduate, I was already well convinced of, of what we would call biblical creation. Sometimes people call it young earth creation. Sure. Well, of course, 6,000 years isn't really very young, is it? But uh, biblical creation. And, and, yeah, I was challenged with other – there are other views that are out there. And that's that, – I mean, that's fine. We can We can investigate these other views. I don't find them to be credible. I don't find them to be academically or, or intellectually defensible. 
Uh, but nonetheless, I've studied them and I understand them. At least I think I do. Yeah. And uh, and of course, I go around. One of the things I do is I show people the problems with these other views of creation, how they don't really line up with Genesis, first of all, and how they don't really make good sense of science in the second place. I understand what you're saying, and and that's what I was going to ask you about. So the position you hold is both one that you feel is. Uh, supported from a biblical worldview from the from the Bible, but it's also something that you see evidence for from science. Is that the case? That's right. Yeah. yeah. That, of course, a lot of what we do at uh, ICR is we uh, show how the evidence lines up with what the Bible teaches. Yeah. And can you share with us what ICR is? Yeah. I'm, I work for an organization called the Institute for Creation Research, and we are a, uh, a Christian ministry and a research institute. It's kind of an interesting, uh, it's an interesting job that I have. Yeah. And what we do is we do scientific research there. We have a science team of many uh, PhD scientists who study various issues pertaining especially to origins. That's what we specialize in. And so uh, what, we, what we do is we, sh- we uncover evidence that confirms that God really did create the way he says he did in six days, thousands of years ago, implying that uh, evolution in, in terms of the molecules demand sense is not true. Uh, of course, we do see variation within a kind. We'd expect that. Uh, but that God really did create the universe as he says he did thousands, not billions of years ago. That's fantastic. And, and uh, it's very interesting. What would you say to somebody who said uh, the universe is infinite? Uh, this is what has come out in the news here recently. And I know actually prior to 1916, uh, as far as I understand it, Einstein actually did believe at one time that the universe was infinite. It was called a steady-state universe. Mm-hmm. And yet today, uh, as far as I know, that view is not widely held, uh, except all of a sudden it's out here in the news that uh, we're back to this infinite universe proposal. Yeah. Yeah, that was actually a very common belief uh, throughout throughout most of the uh, Middle Ages and so on. Most of the scientists believed that the universe was infinite. And uh, one of the things, of course, that's very satisfying if you're an atheist is – if, you, if you're infinite in time, then in terms of cause and effect, you don't require a cause. And that's true. Hmm. Um, but, of course, I would argue the universe does have a beginning. And uh, it, it's interesting, too, because a lot of people, a lot of Christians have jumped on the Big Bang because they say, well, see, there you go. The Big Bang uh, implies a beginning. Doesn't that get you at least closer to Genesis? Granted, the Big Bang doesn't line up with a lot of Genesis, but at least maybe it's a step in the right direction. Well, this latest version of the Big Bang doesn't have a beginning. It still is a Big Bang, by the way. It still has the universe very small. It just... It just has sort of an infinite past in that state, as, as I understand it anyway. Yeah. And so that's – you've got to be very careful about tying your theology to a particular model of science because it might change tomorrow. And so that's why I encourage people to take the Bible first as their primary source of information. That's, that's absolute truth, and then we use that as a filter to understand the universe around us. Now, how would you respond to somebody who said um, you're taking the Bible uh, as true prior to actually knowing that it is true – you're, you're here trying to say that, hey, the Bible says it's true, therefore it's true, and somebody says to you, well, isn't that circular reasoning? Um, we can't use the Bible to prove the Bible. Yeah, it's an interesting, uh, it's an interesting objection because I, I might ask them, well, do you believe in logic? Do you believe that we should use laws of logic to prove things? Well, yeah, of course I believe in laws of logic, they'll say. Uh, can you prove that? Well, uh, well now I think that you probably can prove that, but can you prove that there are laws of logic without using laws of logic? And then, of course, then they're stuck because, of course, any argument you'd have to make to prove laws of logic would necessarily use laws of logic. So there are some kinds of circles that are inescapable. And we find that when we deal with very foundational truth claims, they must be self-attesting, which means they must come back not only improve themselves but make all knowledge possible. And I would argue that only the Christian worldview does that. And I know that's complex and it's hard for people to think through these things. But you see, the, the Christian worldview, if I make the presupposition, if I make the, the a priori faith commitment that the Bible is the Word of God, then I find that laws of logic make sense, 
science makes sense because, after all, God made the universe. He upholds it in a consistent and rational way that my mind can understand and so on. So all of us, we all have an ultimate standard. But I would argue that unless your ultimate standard is the Bible, you can't know anything. You can't actually, you can have beliefs, but you could never justify them. Wow. Rationally. Yeah. That's very interesting what you're saying there. And I, I know that for our listening audience, a lot of what he just shared is very, uh, probably new to you. It's probably not something you've heard a lot about, but, um, I actually completely agree with what Dr. Lyle is saying here, and I, I think it's very important to understand the concepts he's sharing with us here. So when we come back, what we're going to do is we're going to expand on this a little bit and uh, get a better grip on some of these ideas that you may not be f- familiar, familiar with. So uh, thanks a lot for being here. This is Kevin Conover with Educate for Life. We're on AM 1170, The Answer. Very glad to have you aboard, and uh, stay right there. We'll be right back. Take your first steps toward pain-free feet. With just one call, Dr. Roy Phillips will take time with you whether you need top-quality orthotics, relief from ingrown or infected nails, fasciitis, bursitis, or surgical solutions. If you've been told that you need surgery, call Dr. Roy Phillips, 858-272-1091. Learn more online at drphillipspodiatrist.com, 858-272-1091. Okay, welcome back to Educate for Life with Kevin Conover. That's me. My website is educateforlife.org. We're on AM 1170, The Answer. And that's what we're here to do is provide answers to hard questions. Uh, We're here with Dr. Jason Lyle, PhD physicist and astronomer uh, and expert in creation and origins. He's with the Institute for Creation Research. And uh, you can also check out their website online, icr.org. And uh, they have tons of articles on every question you could possibly imagine. Lots of PhD scientists doing a lot of research. And uh, Dr. Jason Lyle uh, speaks all around the world and uh, the country on uh, the issue of creation and evidence for the truth of the Bible. So uh, I encourage you to visit their site and check that out. Uh, Dr. Lyle, um, you were just talking about the fact that we all have premises. We all have foundations upon which we base our lives. And sometimes those foundations exist without us even knowing that they exist. We don't even realize that we're making decisions based upon assumptions. Uh, we think it's based in fact when in, when in reality it's not. And so um, can you explain, I've heard this called evidential apologetics versus what we would call presuppositional apologetics. And Uh, Can you explain the difference? Well, let me tell the audience real quick. Apologetics specifically comes from a Greek word, apologia. It doesn't have to do with saying you're sorry, really. Uh, It has to do with uh, a defense, giving a defense for a particular viewpoint. And uh, that's what we want to do. We want to think through our beliefs rationally, logically, historically, scientifically. And we want to evaluate our presuppositions. Why do I believe what I believe? So, Dr. Lyle, um, I know you've done quite an extensive amount of writing and uh, uh, even have some DVDs on uh, what you call nuclear apologetics. Uh, What is the difference between evidential apologetics and presuppositional apologetics? Well, you know, first I want to clarify the definitions because a lot of people use those terms in a, it's kind of a loose way. Uh, for example, some people will say, you know, I, I use a lot of evidence, so I'm evidential. And I would say, well, no, that's not really what it means. I use a lot of evidence too, but I'm not an evidentialist. Uh, evidentialism and presuppositionalism in terms of the technical definitions of these two positions, they're two different positions, two different philosophies of how apologetics ought to be done. And the evidentialist view would accept the unbeliever's um, 
standard of reasoning and try to reason with them on that standard using evidence. They would say, okay, your, your basic thinking is right, but let me show you some evidence that will lead you to believe that the Bible is true and that it really is inspired by God and so on. And most people do apologetics that way if they're doing apologetics at all. Um, I would challenge them, though, to say there's a better way, there's a better approach, and I think a more biblical approach, and that would be the presuppositional approach. It doesn't mean that we don't use evidence. I use probably more evidence than my evidential uh, colleagues because I'm a scientist and I like evidence. Yeah. But the presuppositionalist would recognize that the standard of the unbeliever is wrong. And so I, I wouldn't want to pretend that, okay, you know, let, let's start with your incorrect standard. Let me just throw evidence at you. Now, I might start with evidence to show him that his standard's wrong. So I might start with evidence. That's fine. Can you give us an example of that, like how that would work out? Absolutely. For example, somebody says, you know, here's some scientific evidence that the world is billions of years old. Now, I might start by saying, well, you know what? There's some counterexamples. For example, we find C14 in diamonds, and, and C14 doesn't last millions of years, let alone billions. And yet, these are the same diamonds you believe are billions of years old. How do you account for that? Now, that gets them thinking. Okay, now, I'm not going to end my argument with that, but it gets sure. them thinking through it. Sure. It's challenging their worldview, their way of thinking, yeah. in which naturalism and whatever the most the majority of scientists yeah. believe, that's what I'm going to believe. Now, be- it gets before them thinking you, that way. Before you go on, Jason, I just want to clarify for our audience. A lot of people probably don't understand, and I don't want to lose our train of thought here, uh, what we're dealing with. But C14, uh, just for our audience, just so you understand how it works, it's, it's uh, radiocarbon dating. What it is is you have a, a certain amount of an unstable isotope with that that is going to change to nitrogen 14 over time and scientists have uh and correct me if i'm wrong scientists have uh figured out that essentially there's no possible way that they know of that c14 can last past 100,000 years and that being the case if you have a diamond that's millions of years old supposedly right it's found down on a very low strata and when you take that diamond out of the ground, you would expect because that diamond is supposedly millions of years old and C14 only lasts 100,000 years, there should be no measurable amounts of C14 in that diamond. And yet what we're finding is that there's plenty of measurable C14 in the diamonds. So that's the evidence that uh, Dr. Lyle is referring to here. Uh, and, and Dr. Lyle, so that, that would be the evidence that you... Uh, were were to give to somebody showing them that hey there's a problem here from an ev- from from this evidence for your uh, for your basis for your foundation mm-hmm. and then you would move on into can right you, then I would complete the argument and by the way both an evidentialist and a presuppositionalist might start an argument that way they okay. might say you know here's here's some interesting evidence that challenges you now the evidentialist though would continue to appeal to those evidences and say you know your worldview is fine you just need to it re- you just need to interpret this evidence a little better and. And uh, you'll be persuaded, whereas the presuppositionalist would say, this evidence not only challenges your worldview, but your worldview is wrong. The, your way of interpreting evidence is wrong. And then, for example, I might then jump on and say, you know, I, I, you said that there was this scientific evidence. Well, tell me, how in your worldview is science even possible? Because, you see, science presupposes some things. Science is based on certain uh, assumptions, certain claims that have to be true in order for it to work. One of those is that the universe is is orderly and has patterns in it that can be uh, discovered. In Absolutely. fact, that's what science is: is the discovering of these patterns that we find in the universe. Yeah. If there now, were no I, pa- if there were no patterns, then uh, how in the world could we could we make any uh, judgments about what's going on in the world? Right. If if there wasn't a consistency in the way things worked, then it would just be a random anomaly that something happened one time, but that didn't mean it was going to happen another time. Exactly. And yeah. so, my, but, but the point is my secular colleague has no <laughs> rational basis for believing in this orderliness in the universe. And so on the one hand, he accepts 
scientific uh, you know procedures, which I do too. Yeah. But for, in my worldview, that makes sense because God upholds the universe in a consistent way, and the Bible he tells us that in Scripture. In Genesis eight twenty two, God has promised to uphold the universe in a consistent way, where the basic cycles of nature, seed time and harvest, and so on, are, are kept in the future as they will or, or will be in the future as they have been in the past. Mm. My secular colleague, when he's doing science, is stealing from the Christian worldview. And that shows a number of things. It's very interesting that they do that. They all do that. Yeah. All, all non-Christians steal from the Christian worldview yeah. because they have to. And my discussions with people, because I've actually had this discussion uh, from a slightly different perspective. I, I had a discussion with a, uh, on, on a, a show. It was a show called, uh, uh, it was a show about atheism. And they asked me to be involved with the show. And I pointed out that if evolution were true, then all they are is a bunch of chemicals bouncing around in their brain. And ultimately, they can't trust their own thoughts because uh, who's to say that a bunch of chemicals bouncing out around in our brain have – why should we trust that? They're mm-hmm. unconscious, uh, non-sentient particles. What would be the point of trusting my own judgments if that was the case? Exactly. And, but yeah. when I said that, they, they said – well, I don't know what you're talking about. And then, <laughs> and they were like, that doesn't make any sense. And they, they, they didn't even want to talk about it. It was like, it was just, it was so foreign to anything they had heard before that it was kind of like, no, we don't even want to go there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and I've, I've, I've found that too, because people are not used to thinking through these very basic issues. Mm. It's, it's really a, um, it's a tragedy that um, our, our society has not been taught these very basic ideas. Uh, presuppositional apologetics is not difficult. Uh, it's just that people are so uneducated on these issues. Yeah, it's kind of like the multiplication yeah. table. There's nothing yeah. really that hard about the multiplication table. But you can can you imagine trying to explain it to somebody who has never thought about math or even was even was aware of the existence yeah. of numbers? Yeah, and a lot of this has to do with logic and uh, kind of almost basic philosophy. And you, you typically don't take classes on logic in high school. It's not like something where Sadly, you yeah. learn about reasoning and how to reason um, and you know. A cannot be A or, you know, something cannot be blue and not blue at the same time. Mm-hmm. And uh, we take it for granted in our everyday lives. But when you really get down to the nitty gritty of it and understanding it, um, it makes a big difference in your ability to make proper judgments, proper uh, decisions in your everyday life. And when it comes to big issues like uh, the existence of God, uh, it's even more critical. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's right. And that's why I use a presuppositional approach. Very powerful. I do bring in evidence. I use it appropriately. At least I think I do. Uh, the, the main key, people say, well, you know, how do you know if you're doing it evidentially or presuppositionally? If the Bible's your ultimate standard, then you're being presuppositional. If, if you're challenging the unbeliever and saying your standard is wrong and you're using evidence to demonstrate that, that's a presuppositional, that's an appropriate use of evidence. So I want to squash this little myth that presuppositionalists don't use evidence. Yeah, do. that's great. Yeah, that's great. Now, I, uh, before the break, I had uh, talked to you about circular reasoning. And that that we don't want to say the Bible proves the Bible. Um, how would you respond to somebody who you're having this discussion with, and and they say your presupposition is wrong, your your uh, worldview is wrong, not mine? And they say you're just using the Bible to prove the Bible. So what makes you any better than me? I'm using uh, logic, you know, to make my decision, and I don't know why my logic's rational or reasonable, but. Uh, it is, and 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 they end with it is, it is right. It's logical, right? Mm-hmm. What? How do you respond to somebody who says you're just being circular? Yeah, well, I would point out, you know, there's a lot, there's a lot I could say there. Yeah. Um, interesting thing about circular arguments is they're they're technically valid. 
and that surprises a lot of people. But um, the, the main reason why most circular arguments are fallacious is because they don't prove anything beyond what they've already assumed. And, uh, that's, and that's, that's true. So normally you're not allowed to use circular reasoning. But when it comes to a foundational truth claim, when you're trying to prove the most ultimate thing that you believe, you have to use a circular ar- argument because there is no alternative. You can't appeal to something greater because there is nothing greater. And so your ultimate standard must somehow prove itself and allow you to prove everything else that's provable. And so what I would say to someone who says, but you're, you're assuming, you're presupposing the truth of the Bible to, to establish the Bible, I would say, but the sad thing is you're also presupposing the truth of the Bible, and yet you disagree with the Bible. Now that is a problem. It's at least consistent for me to assume the Bible and then conclude the Bible. It's very inconsistent for them to assume things that only make sense if the Bible's true, like laws of logic. Okay, so so what what you would say is um, there's no way around this issue, not for you, not for them. Mm -hmm. But yours is logically consistent, whereas theirs is not. And what what you're saying is is that um, without God, you have no reason to – without some sort of a designer or a – producer of logic, somebody who's holding that up, like you said, there's no reason to assume that your logic is valid. And so in your case, it makes sense for you to assume that your logic is valid. In their case, because there is no, they're relying on random chance processes, there's no reason for them to assume that their thoughts are logical. That's right. Both of, both of us use a degree of circular reasoning when defending our ultimate standard. Mine is self-consistent. There's a self-refuting. Okay, well, that's some deep stuff right there. Thank you very much. And, uh, you know, we're going to be right back here. We've got to take a break. We're on AM 1170, The Answer. This is Kevin Conover with the Educate for Life show. And I'm here with my guest, uh, special guest, Dr. Jason Lyle. We will be right back. Foot pain can keep you from working and enjoying life. Call the podiatry office of Dr. Roy Phillips. Top quality custom orthotics have changed the lives of many of his patients. They're made from a mold of your own feet for a perfect fit. These do not break down like drugstore shoe inserts. In fact, they come with a lifetime warranty. Dr. Phillips knows he's worn his pair for 30 pain-free years. Children and adults of all ages have found answers. Learn more at drphillipspodiatrist.com. 858-272-1091. Welcome back to Educate for Life with Kevin Conover. We're on AM 1170, The Answer. I'm very happy to have you here with us. We're having a fantastic show. Some really deep thoughts, but very important thoughts. And I think it's really worth your time to think it through. Sometimes we get frustrated and we go, oh, this is beyond me. But I think if we, uh, if we work at it, if we work for it, that ultimately will come out and we'll, we'll grab that gold and will be very valuable, valuable to our lives. It will make a big difference. My website is educateforlife.org. You can go there and take tons of classes on uh, evidence for the truth of the biblical worldview. We've got all kinds of stuff up there. How do we know the Bible is the word of God? How do we know that creation is true and evolution isn't true? How do we deal with social issues in light of scripture? Um, All kinds of uh, stuff there that is very valuable to help you um, think through these key critical issues that really uh, don't matter just in this life, but they matter in the next life too. And they're going to have an impact on that. They change the way everything is dealt with in life. And uh, Dr. Lyle's website is icr.org. Again, uh, just a ton of stuff there to get uh, help with uh, tough questions. And uh, we're going to pick up where we left off here. We've been discussing a person's foundational view, how it affects their their life, and whether it's logically consistent, a very important subject. Um, As we continue to talk about this, um, Dr. Lyle, I wanted to ask you, 
when it comes to dealing with issues uh, from cosmology, uh, you have people arguing for a naturalistic uh, worldview that everything was the product of chance. Um, what evidence can we give to somebody to make them think or take pause and say, you know what, maybe not everything I believe is true. What evidence can we give them that is contrary to what we would expect from a naturalistic worldview? Oh, there's so much to choose from. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I think one of the ones you pointed out earlier, which is very powerful, is just the fact that we're able to analyze the universe and understand it. Because if our brains really were just naturalistic chemistry, that makes no sense. Chemistry, you see, rationality involves the ability to consider the, very, uh, the various options consciously and then choose the best. But chemistry has no choice. Chemistry follows fixed laws of, of, of uh, the universe, the laws of physics. And so if our brains are just chemistry, it makes no sense for us to even be able to do science or to analyze the yeah, universe. So naturalism undermines rationality. And naturalism is just cause and effect. It's mm -hmm. one thing reacting to another thing. So there's just the fact that I have purpose in what I do, that it's not all just random cause and effect reactions. Um, is, is an indication of the existence of God, is what you're saying. Sure, yeah. yeah. And okay. the biblical God at that, the one who's promised us that he upholds the future like the past, and there's a certain degree of rationality in, in, in human thinking and so on. Yeah. Uh, so that's one, I think, very powerful example. You could pick almost anything in nature. Yeah. Um, you could pick the human hand, and you can look at it and see the way it's designed and yeah. the way that everything works together. Um, most life, or really all life forms that we've analyzed have a degree of what's sometimes called irreducible complexity, where mm. all the parts have to work together simultaneously, yeah. or the whole fails. Yeah. And those kind of structures cannot come about by a, a sort of gradualistic revolutionary process. Yeah. Evolutionists like to believe that, but it can't work that way, because unless the whole thing is there, uh, the organism dies. Yeah, very famous. Uh, Anthony Flew, although uh, we don't have any evidence that he actually became a Christian before he passed away, uh, he abandoned his atheism because he called it integrated complexity. Uh, just the way biology and chem chemistry all seem to work together so perfectly, he said it's it's beyond possibility that this is all purely an accident. And he gave up his atheism, ended with a book saying, there is a God, crossed out the no in the title, and there is a God. And, um, and you know, one of the things I find is very contradictory between a naturalistic worldview and a biblical worldview, and I know that not all Christians agree on this, and I wanted to talk to you about this, um, is that if we take the Bible and we take Genesis and we take the genealogies and we look at those and we take them for what they say they are, we take that, that six days of creation, we take those as literal days, that there's a big discrepancy between the naturalistic worldview that we've been, that, that, uh, you know, humans have been around for hundreds of thousands of years, that the earth has been here for billions of years, that the universe has been here for billions of years. There's a huge contradiction between the two. And I'm, I wanted to ask you, is there any evidence from, uh, from space that indicates this, if we take this biblical view, we read Genesis as it, as it uh, is being stated to us, do we have evidence from, from uh, space or anything that, that that is the case, that the earth is is much less old than we've been taught from our naturalistic uh, classes. Yeah, quite a lot, quite a lot. And you don't tend to hear about it too much in the public school system, unfortunately, because yeah. it goes against the naturalistic worldview that the students are inundated with every day. Yeah. Uh, there are a lot of things like that. The Earth's magnetic field, the rate at which it's decaying, appears to be an exponential decay. You run the uh, movie backwards, the magnetic field would have been faster. In the now, can, can I ask you about this, yeah, yeah, uh, Dr. Yeah, Lau? Um, how do they measure the, the strength of the magnetic field, and how do they know that that magnetic field is... Um, 
is actually decaying at the rate at its, at its decaying. I've heard this before, yeah. that the magnetic field could only be a maximum of 25,000 years old based on its rate of decay. Mm-hmm. How, do they, how do they figure that out? I have no well, idea. Well, yeah, the, the magnetic field actually goes through us. It's actually penetrating even our bodies right now. And so you can, in a laboratory, you can actually measure the Earth's magnetic field. You just have to get away from other local sources of magnetism. But the Earth does have a weak magnetic field that connects the north and south poles. Well, that basically. makes sense. Those are yeah. Lines. Yeah. So we can measure that. And we've been measuring it for over a century almost a century and a half and this the measurements back then were stronger the magnetic field was stronger so we've been able to measure as a function of time the decay of earth's magnetic field wow, it migrates a little bit too it actually moves a little bit so but the overall field energy is dropping and so the so the argument is that if if really the earth were this millions of years old or billions of years old that magnetic field would be gone already that's right yeah okay. or, or putting the equation backwards in order for it to be at its current strength it would have to be so strong in fact, I did the math. If you go back 60,000 years, it would be stronger than a neutron star, oh my which gosh. would basically rip your atoms apart. So, <laughs> so we yeah. wouldn't be here. Right, exactly. So that's just one. Or, or comets, for example. Comets are another example of these dirty ice balls that orbit yeah. around the sun. And, yeah. and they're constantly in the process of disintegrating. Ice, once it, when it gets close to the sun... It disintegrates, and that's what forms a comet's tail. Every time you see a comet, it's getting smaller. Now, how, uh, again, same question as with the magnetic field, uh, I'm just curious, is how do they uh, how do they know how big it was when it originally started, right? Because mm-hmm. you'd have to know that to be able to know how, how much it's lost. Sure. And has, has somebody ever seen a comet die? Uh, so, yes, yes. Yes, they have. Yes. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah the, the, um, the initial size of the comet... Uh, it's not very big. I mean, all the comets that we've seen, all of them are just a few miles in diameter. The, I think the largest we've ever seen, Hale-Bopp, would, was something like 40 miles across, which is huge for a comet. Yeah. But that apparently is close to the upper limit of the size in which they come. Uh, so that gives us at least an estimate of the initial the initial amount of material that was gotcha. there. And we can measure the rate at which they're disintegrating because we can see the material leaving yeah. the comets. Yeah. And in some cases, we've seen comets that have gone back behind the sun. I, I used the SOHO spacecraft in my uh, dissertation research for my, for my PhD. Oh, wow. And one of the instruments on it is able to see comets as they get close to the sun. It's hard for us to see them because yeah. the sun's yeah. glare. Yeah. But SOHO is designed for that. I've seen comets go behind the sun, and that's it. They're totally wow. obliterated in one pass. I've seen that happen. That's amazing. So to imagine that they last millions of years, no, no, it's just not going to happen. Yeah. We estimate a typical comet, something like 100,000 years maximum, and then it's gone. So this is not something that um, that those who are not uh, biblical creationists, this is not something they dispute as far as the lifespan of a comet. Is that That's generally accepted among all astronomers and physicists. That's right. Yeah. Hmm. And so my secular colleagues would have to say, well, there must be a source of new comets. There's always a rescuing device. There's yeah. always something they can pull in. And so they say, well, there must be this Oort cloud out there, for which we have no evidence, by the way, yeah. uh, that generates new comets to replace them. Uh, but if you're a biblical creationist, the evidence just fits very naturally. Oh, wow, that's awesome, huh? Uh, can you give us some more evidences? I'm curious. I, I, sure. I love hearing this stuff. And it's, I think our audience would find it very interesting to, to, to know, uh, wow, this is, this is real scientific evidence here yeah. we have. Yeah. The uh, rate at which the moon is spiraling away from the Earth. You might know the moon causes tides on yeah. the Earth, tidal forces. Yeah. But the Earth rotates, and so the tidal bulges get ahead of the moon, pulling it forward. That gives the moon energy, and it causes the moon to spiral out. So the moon moves a little bit further away from the Earth every year. It's not very much. It's like an inch and a half today yeah. Yeah. per year. Yeah, pretty um, soon there's going to be no more moon and no more romantic dates. All the <laughs> well, dates. what will happen? Just, we'll only be able to look at the stars. Yeah. And we'll be gone. <laughs> well, if, unless the Lord intervenes, which yeah, probably yeah. will, the moon and, and Earth would eventually both become tidally locked, and then it would stop moving away. So the Earth, right now the moon keeps its same face pointed toward the Earth. 
eventually the Earth would keep its same face pointed toward the moon. Whoa. But the moon would be quite a bit so further you'd away. So you'd only get to see the moon if you were on one yes, side of the Earth. <laughs> yes, So all the romantic people go to one side. The real estate and, on yeah. that side of the planet is going to increase <laughs> right, just because exactly. you get to see the moon. That's exactly. awesome. Exactly. But if you run the movie the other direction, of course, the moon would have been closer to the Earth in the past. And by the way, you have to do the math right on this one because as you move the moon closer, the tides get bigger and it moves faster and they get bigger and it moves faster. You have to so there's an increase. There's yeah. an exponential increase. Exactly. And, yeah. and if you do the math properly, it turns out the Earth and moon dive into each other at 1.4 to 1.5 billion years, which sounds like a lot. But in the secular view, they're supposed to be 4.5 billion years old. And so the upper limit is less than yeah. the, the position that the, the secularists take. So, so what we're saying is that the, the data doesn't match the hypothesis. Right. But on the other hand, if the Earth and the moon are only around 6,000 years old, it just fits fine. Right. It's only been 730 feet closer at creation. Okay. Okay. Hey, we're here with Dr. Jason Lyle. Extremely interesting conversation. Uh, tons of information here. And uh, this will be streamed live on AM 1170. Uh, the answer, and it will also be recorded. So if you can't catch everything we're talking about here and you're kind of like, man, I want to come back and listen to this or you want to share it with a friend, um, you will have the opportunity to do that. Uh, just visit my website, educateforlife.org, or uh, you can catch it on AM 1170, The Answer. We're going to be right back here. We have one more segment left with Dr. Jason Lyle. Thanks for being with us. Uh, come right back. Take your first steps toward pain-free feet. With just one call, Dr. Roy Phillips will take time with you whether you need top-quality orthotics, relief from ingrown or infected nails, fasciitis, bursitis, or surgical solutions. If you've been told that you need surgery, call Dr. Roy Phillips, 858-272-1091. Learn more online at drphillipspodiatrist.com, 858-272-1091. Okay, we're back here with Dr. Jason Lyle from the Institute for, of Creation Research. This is Kevin Conover with Educate for Life. And we are asking tough questions about reality, about the evidence for the existence of God and for the biblical worldview. Uh, does it have evidence or is it just based on blind faith? Well, from this discussion, it's very obvious that there's a lot of evidence out there that people are just not aware of, uh, all the way from how you uh, start your, fa- whether you deem logic reasonable or not, whether you can trust your own logic, uh, which from a biblical worldview, if God exists, then it makes all the sense in the world to trust your logic. On the other hand, if we're just the product of random chemical reactions, why in the world would you trust your logic? Why would you believe what your own brain thinks when it's just a a random accident? Uh, So pretty deep questions, but very significant and important questions. And I'm going to continue to ask you, Dr. Lyle, what evidence we have from space that the biblical worldview is contrary to the naturalistic worldview. And for our guests who are just turning in, um, if we take the the Bible literally, uh, meaning we read Genesis and the genealogies as narrative history, then we're going to get around 6,000 years old for the age of the earth. Now, that's not widely accepted in uh, academia, but remember, there's been lots of science that was not widely accepted. Uh, Louis Pasteur came up with the law of biogenesis, completely contradicted everything that was known before then. He he, uh, made the discovery that life did not spontaneously arise. And prior to that, it was widely accepted that it did. So um, just because everybody isn't on board with it doesn't mean it's not wrong. We have to go to the evidence and we have to look at our presuppositions uh, to come to the right conclusion. 
So, Dr. Lyle, uh, to continue on with our same discussion, uh, what other evidence is there from space that the biblical uh, time frames are correct? Sure. Yeah, there's a lot in our own solar system. The, uh, we could talk about the sun, for example. The, su- the sun is actually, uh, because of the way nuclear fusion occurs in the core, the density, uh, the, uh, the, the mean density actually increases. And, and long story short, that causes it to burn more efficiently, and it, essentially the sun becomes brighter as a function of time. And so if you go so back over time, time, the sun is getting brighter and yes, brighter. Yeah. Okay, okay. So if you run into the backward in the past, now this, this, you know, on short time scales, on the biblical time scale, there's very little difference. 6,000 years, not a huge difference. But if you run it back billions of years, the sun would have been very, very faint in the past, something like 30% fainter when life was allegedly starting to evolve on Earth. And so uh, it, the Earth would have been an icicle at that point, in which case life couldn't have evolved because you need liquid water for life. Oh, very and interesting. So, yeah, it's called the faint young sun paradox. And wow. It's a problem for the, for the secular worldview, but it makes perfect sense yeah. in, the, in the biblical and, worldview. And, and uh, like we said before, uh, secular astronomers and physicists recognize this problem but don't know how to – don't know how to fix it. Is that they're just they're just leaving it out for now and just saying, hey, maybe we'll figure that out down the road. That's uh, one solution. Yes, that's I call that the eschatological cop out. You know, in the future we'll have a yeah, uh, solution yeah. to that. Yeah, uh, that's one. Or maybe oh, they'll say, well, there's something. Maybe the atmosphere was a better greenhouse gas. You know, there's there's always a rescuing device. Yeah. I, now, I like how do you respond that, to that? How do you respond to all these rescuing devices? I've I've talked to people about things like this before, and and uh, there's always some sort of a fanciful story that can be told to try to make everything come back together yes. and and that's a little bit frustrating when you're trying to you know come to a conclusion yes. it, it doesn't seem like uh sometimes you feel like man i'm i'm talking with somebody who's not really interested in examining the evidence they're just interested in upholding a particular uh worldview it's more about winning the argument than it is about getting to the truth yes and yeah, and you'll find people that way. And you'll be frustrated. Why are they not interpreting the evidence properly? Why are they trying to force it to fit into their worldview? Meanwhile, they're thinking the same thing about you. Yeah, thinking, yeah. Why are you trying to? <laughs> that's right. You know, that's what and, and, and that's why it really does come down to a worldview issue, and why the evidence by itself only takes somebody so far. It can get you thinking. It can start the conversation. It can get a person scratching their head. But if they're coming up with rescuing device after rescuing device, you're going to have to go to their worldview. Because the fact is, we all have rescuing devices. Mm. I have rescuing devices, and I'm perfectly happy to admit that. Yeah. There are sections of the Bible where you might point to something that I don't totally understand. And I'm not going to throw away the Bible because of it. I'm going to say, well, there's perhaps an answer to that. Maybe in the future I'll find an answer. I give yeah. the same kind of cop-out that uh, others might give. But you see, I have a good reason for my worldview. My worldview makes reasoning possible. Whereas my secular colleague, his worldview would make reasoning impossible if it were true. And that's why you got to... You've got to get back to the worldview issue and point out that the Christian worldview is the only rational possibility. It must come back to that eventually. Wow, very interesting. Now, um, aside from just logic, the issue of logic and that logic must be uh, come from somewhere in order for us to be able to trust. It must come from a mind that, that makes those laws of logic. Mm-hmm. Um, is there any other, other things that are kind of uh, foundational base things that you can't prove but must be true in order us to, for us to make sense of the world? Yeah, I would say you can't prove them apart from the Christian worldview. Yeah, so that's what the, I mean. Yeah, 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 yeah if you I take mean. the Christian worldview, you can, you can uh, make sense of logic. You can prove logic. Now, it's yeah. true you can't prove logic without using logic. That's yeah. true. You've yeah. got to use a degree of it's circular, circular reasoning. Yeah. You have to. There's but no it's, ju- from but it. it's justified. It's Exactly. It's circular. It's self-consistent, whereas in the secular worldview, logic is inconsistent with itself. Now, ironically. Is, is math in the same uh, yeah. ballpark there with logic? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Okay. Laws of mathematics. Um, you, know, you, you can't prove that one plus one is one. Not but, without using logic and math. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. exactly. But it is. 
And it makes sense in a Christian worldview, and that's yeah. the key. Uh, so laws of mathematics are like that. Uniformity in nature, the idea that uh, there, if you see something happen in the past, if the circumstances are sufficiently similar in the future, you'll get the same result. That's the foundation of all science. Yeah. And yet that is only provable in the Christian worldview. The secularists have no way to – not only can they not prove it, they can't even justify it. They can't even give me a reason why that ought to be the case. Yeah, why it's like that. Yeah. yeah. Now some people – I'll tell you what they say. They'll what? say, well, in the past it's always been that way. And that, and, and and therefore, that justifies why it's like this. Yeah, and therefore in the future it will be. But whenever you argue from the past to the future, you're assuming uniformity, yeah. you see. And so yeah. when I'm asking them to prove uniformity, they can't just arbitrarily assume it for the sake of proving it, or else they're using a type of circular reasoning that is inconsistent with itself because they don't have a foundation for that, you see. Whereas I do, I can say, not only do I have past experience of uniformity, but God tells me the future will be like the past. And God's beyond time, so only he's in a position to know. Sure. So in the Christian worldview, I have a basis for uniformity. Another big one would be morality. This is something that no secularist can really account for. And by the way, I'm not saying secularists are immoral, or at least any more so than anyone else. We yeah. All, we all break God's moral code from time yeah, to time. Yeah, I, I constantly my, hear the claim that, hey, are you saying that because, uh, because I don't believe in God, I can't be a moral person? No, no, no. That's not at all what we're saying. What we're saying is that you don't have a logical foundation for morality. Right. If you are uh, a non-believer. Yeah, it can't yeah. be rationally justified in your worldview. And yet there are evolutionists who nonetheless hold to morality. I'm very glad they do. And very that, strongly even, sure. very passionately even, Absolutely. arguing for equality and yeah. arguing for fairness and justice. Right. Uh, and, and, yet, uh, and yet there's just not a justification for it. It's not right. logically consistent. That's right. In their worldview, it makes no sense for them to behave that way. Yeah. And yet, of course, in the biblical worldview, not only can I explain morality, I can explain why they have a sense of morality despite the fact they verbally deny it. Yeah. Because God has made them in his image just as he has all of us. Yeah. He's hardwired his law into their hearts as into mine. In fact, from a naturalistic worldview, it actually would, it would make more sense that you would, right, for survival of the fittest, it would actually make sense that you would do things that we would consider immoral, like suppressing yes. the weak, uh, yeah. taking advantage of the weak, and doing these sorts of things. So from an evolutionary perspective, it's, it's strange that we don't find those things to be moral, that we yes. don't say we morally... Uh, we are morally superior because we do take advantage of others. Yes. Um, but in fact, we fi find just the opposite, that we consider somebody immoral who takes advantage of the weak. And scientifically, there's no justification for that. That's right. That's yeah. right. It's something that only makes sense in the Christian worldview. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Um, well, we're almost out of time here. But before we go, I just want to thank you so much for being on the show, Dr. Lyle, and appreciate your time. And I know that our audience is going to be blessed by... Um, all that we've discussed here. And, and uh, again, ICR.org, you can find tons of articles. Uh, there's actually quite a few resources that Dr. Lyle himself has uh, produced or been a part of and uh, lots of uh, amazing insight. Uh, what, what would you say is your favorite, um, favorite maybe evidence or, or something you find very interesting that you've learned from physics and astronomy that really speaks to the truth of the Bible Excuse me, maybe not presuppositionally, but uh, in the sense that um, an evidence that you go, wow, that is just really uh, neat how, how that plays out in the universe or stars or whatever it might be. Anything that really, uh, really. There's so many to choose from. It's yeah. hard to pick just one. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of evidence in the universe for the youth of the universe, mm. the fact that it's thousands of years old. Yeah. And uh, it amazes me that, you know, I, astronomers, most secularists believe in the billions of years. But yeah. the fact that spiral galaxies, for example, wrap themselves up on a time scale. I, did, I actually wrote a computer simulation to check to see how quickly they wrap themselves up. 
They're gone in 100 million years. They let, and, and yet secularists believe that galaxies are 10 billion years old, these spiral galaxies. Yeah, but now they when would be you... twisted like a top. If they were if they were that old, they twist themselves up naturally. So what you're saying is is that the spiral galaxies, and we've seen photos of these, you know, from NASA and all kinds of things. Mm-hmm. They actually have these arms that come out, mm-hmm. and as they're spinning, those arms are kind of wrapping around the center. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, because the center rotates quicker in terms of its angular velocity than the outer portions. And so it's constantly getting tighter and tighter and tighter. That spiral is tightening itself up. So what you, when you say that they would be gone, what you're saying is all we would see is kind of a ma- a cluster of stars together. Yeah, uniform disk. Yep. Interesting. Now, yeah. now again, um, how does somebody respond to this? Uh, there's it, always a rescuing device. It, it's a rescue. Yeah. So, so they have rescuing devices. Sure. But typically, what I'm gathering from you is that those are not based on evidence is what you're saying. They're, right. they're, they're theories or postulates, but there's no evidence that we can draw from to say, no, this is what happened. Right. That's what makes a rescuing device a rescuing device. Okay. Is that it doesn't have supporting evidence. It's just a patch to, to make your worldview fit the evidence, basically. Oh, that's fantastic. Oh, this, this has been very enlightening for me. Thank you so much. And uh, thank you for being here this evening. Uh, we're on AM 1170, The Answer. My name is Kevin Conover. I'm with Educate for Life. My website is educateforlife.org. Uh, really feel honored that you would uh, listen in, and I hope you enjoyed the show. Again, thank you, Dr. Lyle, for being Thanks. here, and uh, we'll see you next week. God bless. Have a great evening. Ooh. Educate for Life with Kevin Conover, a regular feature on AM 1170, The Answer. Learn more about Kevin and his work online at his website, educateforlife.com. That's educateforlife.com. You'll find great resources, ideas, and even video classes there to help you grow and understand what in the world is happening. Encourage your friends to listen for great guests and intelligent analysis of the stories that shape our lives. Educate for Life with Kevin Conover, exclusively on AM 1170. The answer. Bring your tired and bring your shame. Bring your guilt and bring your pain. Don't you know?